Well, I think I'm in trouble to start with here. I'm going to have to move around. I can't quite see over there. <laughs> uh, there's nothing like getting comfortable just to begin with. So the, the notes are in trouble. That's one thing we didn't check. We didn't check to see this. They've, they've told me what time to quit. They've told me where to go change clothes. They've given me the bulletin, but they didn't tell me you can't see over the pulpit. <laughs> you know, I tell you, the music has been absolutely spectacular this morning. Hasn't it just been great, I'll tell you? It lifts you to the heaven, just to the heaven. Music of the Baptist Church. Well, you know, I knew one of your former pastors. It's, it's the one that we thought would never die. How many of you knew Ralph? You know, he could remember more names. I was in Kentucky. He came and preached a revival service for me. Uh, and, you know, they wanted him to come meet pastor. He was 85 years old then, and they wanted him to come. They loved our pastor, Ralph Langley, and he was a wonderful human being. But he would find clippings from the Western Recorder, which is the Baptist State paper in Kentucky, and he would cut them out and he'd say, I see where you had 1,250 in Sunday school on Sunday. And then he said, well, maybe it was a misprint. But he always was encouraging. <laughs> always uplifting, you know, always in the great joy of the Lord. And Pastor Travis and... Brother Travis and Carrie have been so good to me and my wife since we've been here. They've come alongside of us and supported us and encouraged us and invited us to their home. And they've even had my mother in their home. And so we're, we're so very grateful for their friendship. And it came at just the right time. Now, I'm, I'm as surprised as you are that I've been invited to preach here this morning. Because he's asked me to talk about something, it's my story, and my story is not really pretty. But when we've been singing all these songs about grace this morning and, and the scripture that we heard about geez, God turning our mourning into dancing and weeping is but for a night and joy comes in the morning, that's somewhat of my story. And my grace is sufficient, Paul said in the epistles. And that passage that says, For grace you've been saved, not of your work, should any man should boast. Grace so amazing really is what my life and story is all about. I'm going to talk about something this morning we usually don't talk about a lot in public, but it's, it's a pandemic within a pandemic. I know that in the past two years, over a million people have died as a result of COVID-19. And that is a horrible, horrible tragedy. But I also want to remind you that in 2020, 108,000 people died of drug overdose in America, which is the most ever. So in the midst of a pandemic, there was another pandemic. So this morning, we're going to talk about addiction and what it means and what God can do in the lives of those who know what it is to struggle with that. The reason we talk about it is because we seldom talk about it especially in public. But if we tell the truth, many of our lives have been impacted as a result of a neighbor, a friend, a relative, a son, a daughter, a mother, or father who has struggled with what it is to deal with the addiction of alcohol or drugs. See, my name is Bill, and I'm an alcoholic. 
but I have recovered from a hopeless state of mind. But I want you to know that's not the whole story. My name is Bill. I was a Baptist preacher. Now I work and serve and preach in a Methodist church, but that's not all of my story. I'm divorced and remarried and have a wonderful family, and that's a part of my story, but guess what? That's not all of my story. For my story is, in Romans it says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. My story is that I am a sinner saved by grace, and only God knows all of my story. So this morning, I want to share with you a little bit of what it's been to be blessed, broken, and re-blessed. You heard the scripture that was alluded to in the children's sermon. If you have your Bibles and want to turn to Psalm chapter 30, it's a psalm of David, if you would, that he's in the midst of recovering from an illness. And he writes this because he's very grateful, but he also wants to know that he's been in the darkness. The Word of God says in Psalm chapter 30, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and did not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you brought me up from up my soul from Sheol, restored me to life from among those who've gone down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you faithful ones, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes in the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved by your favor, O Lord. You had established me as a strong mountain. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cried, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear me, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O oh God, be my helper. You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have taken off my sackcloth and clothed me with joy so that my soul may praise you and not be silent. O oh Lord my God, I will give you thanks forever. Word of God for the people of God. Got some Methodists back there. <laughs> y'all may have heard this story, but not. any of y'all grew up in a small town, everybody knew everybody? All right, I got a friend that he grew up in Glendale, Kentucky, and he said before there was call forwarding, they had it in Glendale because there was one operator in town, and when the per you called that person, she could tell you whether Robert was over at Sally's or if Sally's was over at Susie's, and she could transfer the call. Well, in little towns, you know, everybody knows everybody's business. Well, this small town in, in Kentucky, there was a, a, a preacher in town, and he, he, was, he was a drunk. And everybody knew it, but they tolerated him because he would be good for a while and not good for a while. One day, the policeman in town saw him walking down the street, and he had a cup in his hand, and he was shaking. And the policeman pulled up to him and said, Preacher, are you drinking again? And he said, No. 
No. He said, you sure? Your hand's shaking and you're acting like it. He said, you sure? And he said, no, no. He said, well, let me just have a taste. So he put his finger in the cup and he took it and put it to his lips. And he looked at the preacher and he said, preacher, that's wine. You're drinking again. And the preacher looked up and said, dad gum, he's done it again. It's the miracle every Baptist hates. But anyway. <laughs> well, I, the, the, the sad part is that that would be my story. But I was blessed. You know, in verse 7, it says, In my prosperity, I thought there could be no harm. I was born into a good family. My mother and daddy loved me as best they could. My father was a Baptist minister. He went to Carson Newman College, graduated in 1951, went to Wake Forest, a Southeastern Seminary, graduated in 1957. The reason I know all this, my mother died recently, and we've been going through all her papers, and we found everything of history. I thought I was born in the nursery of the Red Bank Baptist Church. I have my vacation Bible school certificate from June of 1952 when I was nine months old. Do the math, I'm almost 50. But anyway. <laughs> so, you know, I had a good life, grew up in church. I made my profession of faith when I was about seven years old. I don't know if I fully understood what all of that meant at that time, but I trusted Christ and was baptized. Now, I must confess, I've rededicated my life 1,500 times since then. Y'all know what that is, don't you? Well, sometimes I did it when I was a kid because my dad used to sing like 95 verses of Just As I Am. And I would go forward just so it would end. I had every opportunity. My folks sacrificed for me to go to school. I went to Tennessee Tech. Now, I did realize early on that I was not the favorite child. My brother somehow was able to go to Belmont. I don't know if y'all know the difference, but back, back in the day, you know, it cost $50 a semester or a quarter to go to Tech, and it cost $15,000 to go to Belmont. So I figured out, I knew who they loved early on. <laughs> I went to school, got out. Felt God calling me to the ministry. A couple in our church at First Baptist Church, Winchester, Tennessee, by the name of Clinton and Sarah Swalford, called me and my wife then out to their house and said we would be happy to pay for you to go to school and for uh, Linda to go to college and dental school. We walked out and had to pinch ourselves. Is this true? It was true, had every blessing, went, had a wonderful time at Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, went the same place your pastor went. Got a fine church when I got out of seminary, but as soon as I got out of seminary, all of a sudden, I got, we started getting paid, we were able to buy a car, we lived in a house, and we wanted what church members had. My relationship with God began to deteriorate early on as I look back. 
I had depended on God for everything. I'd prayed. I'd been on my knees. I'd sought the Lord's will. I'd been faithful in everything there was to be. And then as soon as I was at a spot and had just a little bit of recognition, I went to the First Baptist Church of Shepherdsville, Kentucky. I thought I was somebody. And that prosperity that I thought I had, it began to slip away early on. I was blessed again, though. You know, y'all know what an ego is, don't you? Apparently, none of you have one. <laughs> you know, I, and I wanted a bigger church. Got a bigger church. Moved to northern Kentucky. Stayed there 17 years. And then... And then, my life was broken. I told you I began to slip away from God. And if you ever want to know what happens when you slip away from God, you can look at me, and I'll tell you, you will become a broken, lost, in-the-dark person. I began to think the rules didn't apply to me. I didn't recognize that there needed to be discipline. Nobody could tell me what to do. And all of a sudden, I was so far away from what God would call someone to be a minister that I did not recognize myself. I lived a double life, a quadruple life. I was one thing on Sunday and another thing on Monday. You know when they talk about hypocrites, I want you to know that I was a hypocrite. But the problem was, I lived in fear because I was afraid that someone would find out who and what I was. So how do you deal with that? How do you cover that up? Well, what I did, I started using substances because I felt very guilty and ashamed. So in 2001, it was necessary that I leave my church. And in the brokenness of life, I lost my church. And over a period of time, I lost my family. I lost about everything there was to lose. I'd gone to work for the Methodist because I was helping churches raise money and they never could get to know me. You don't stay very long when you help churches raise money. You just kind of walk in and walk out. My life deteriorated, deteriorated. In active addiction, I remarried. We had a tough go. Somehow by the grace of God, We've made it. But in December of 2008, I went to see my son, who was the pastor of the Crescent Hill Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. And we'd gone through a rather tumultuous time. My, my kids weren't necessarily impressed with their father. They felt like that he had lied to them and betrayed them. And so we weren't on the best of terms, but... Being the 
great person that I am and the ability I have to work things out. I knew I could go take care of things. So I went to see Jason, and it was on a Wednesday. And you know what happens on Wednesdays in Baptist churches, don't you? You have, what, you have supper, you have choir, you have prayer meeting, youth group. So I walked into his office, and it was about 5.30, and, and I probably wasn't in the best of shape. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't the fact that I was out of physical shape. I, my, I might have been just a little bit uh, uh, inebriated. That's a big word. Y'all may need to Google it. <laughs> and I decided I was going to tell him what he needed to do at his church. And he told me what I needed to do. He said, Dad, you're an alcoholic. I want you to go out and sit on the bench. Kate's, Kate's going to come pick you up. She's going to take you home. When I get home, I'll deal with you. He came in. He told me that night, he said, Dad, you're now called. You need to go to treatment. I believe that's the lowest I'd ever been. He said, oh, we're not going to have anything else to do with you. Shortly thereafter, I went to, down to UAB. I went to the addiction clinic of the recovery center there. And I had an interview with Dr. Peter Lane, and he was going to do an assessment, alcohol assessment. Every y'all, none of y'all have ever taken that Michigan test to find out if you're an alcoholic or not. There's a lot of questions, you know. And so anyway, ask him, well, to make a good assessment, you need good information. Well, I lied to him. So, you know, he said, well, you need to go on a spiritual retreat, and life will be better. And I'm like, cool, cool, cool. I went to a counselor. He sent me to a room. And all of a sudden, this broken life that had no health insurance, no driver's license, tags expired on his car, living the darkest, deepest, ugliest life you could live, the voice of God began to speak. Surrounded by a bunch of guys in a room that loved me just for what I was, accepted me, the support of my wife who said, I want you to get well. All of a sudden, God began to go to work. Blessed, broken, reblessed. If I make it till July the 12th, I will have been clean and sober for 13 years. I want you to know that is a miracle. It's not what I did, but I can tell you that's what God can do and what God can do with anybody. I began to get better. I began to really pray. I really prayed every day. I was surprised myself. I sought God's will. What do you want to do with me? One night we were sitting and my wife said, what do you think God wants to do with you? I said, I don't know but for sure, but I know God wants me to preach. 
So we started praying, God help me to be able to preach again. And I was looking forward to going back to the kind of church you know I had, one of those big old churches and Christian Life Centers and thousand people and the big, you know, all the stuff that goes with it. I almost said big salary, but all those stuff that goes with it. God said, you can preach again, Bill, but you're going to a halfway house in Bessemer, Alabama. And that's where I wound up. We started a little church called Recovery Church. Time we got through, we were feeding 75 to 100 people. We'd go to the jail and say, come over and eat with us. We got to be with the broken people of the world who are so longing and who are so need of the love of Jesus that anything, nothing works to talk to people like chocolate and chicken and Jesus' love. 2013, I was blessed with the opportunity not only to be able to have that ministry, but to go to Bradford and to be the chapel speaker there. I'm telling you, I've come a long way. Just think, I used to preach to, preach to people who'd been out of detox 48 hours. Most of y'all have just been up for a few hours, but you're just, you didn't get out of detox yesterday. Then over time, God continued to work in my life. And by the grace of God and the infinite mercy of God that I did not get what I deserved. And the unmerited favor of God, I was called to be the, one of the associate pastors at the Huntsville First United Methodist Church. Now that's kind of funny too. You ought to see me on Sunday morning. I'm in a robe and we're, we're very liturgical. Do you know what I mean? That you stand up and you sit down, and if you pray, you say, the Lord be with you, and then also with you. Do you and if you don't say that, then you can't pray. I didn't know that. Did y'all know that? But anyway, I did not know that. So I've had to learn all sorts of languages I did not know. In fact, one of the first few Sundays I was there, I was sitting by the lady that was going to read the Scripture, and she, said, she leaned over to me, and she said, you don't know what you're doing, do you? And I said, no, I don't. But what I do know and what I have learned is that God may let us weep in the night, but guess what comes in the morning? Joy comes in the morning. You're right. We may be sad. We may be in mourning, but guess what? Again, we can dance. The first book I received when entering recovery was Turn Your Mourning into Dancing by Henry Nowen. A magnificent book that calls us in the midst of our brokenness and our fragility and our tragedies and, and our grief that we can move and embrace and let our lives turn into dancing. Today, I know in heaven, my parents are dancing. This is the first time that I have preached in a Baptist church in 21 years. Now, there's a reason. You know, when you, you look at my resume, <laughs> you know, the Methodists did not do a background check when I went to their church. <laughs> Uh, so that, that's part of the reason I'm there. 
but I know my mother and father would be thrilled to know. And I actually believe that people in heaven know what's happening. They would be rejoicing. See, your preacher last Sunday stole my scripture. Did y'all know about that? Alan, he stole my scripture. I was asked to preach here six months ago, okay? I've had my sermon title and my scripture for six months. We preached on Luke 15 at our church four straight weeks. I was all primed and pumped to preach Luke, what? 15. That guy. <laughs> Judge sends me an email and goes, well, I just want you to know <laughs> that uh, Alan's sermon for next Sunday is Luke chapter 15. <laughs> I cannot tell y'all what I thought. <laughs> But I thought, oh, shucks. <laughs> but see, that Luke 15 is about the dancing. Because when that boy comes home, do they have a party? Or do they have a party? See, that which was lost has been found. That which was dead is alive. People used to call my son and say, is your dad still alive? Because I had been so ashamed, so guilty. I'd gone underground. But thanks be to God who has raised me to new life. I feel born again. And here's the words I'd like to leave with you. Aren't those your favorite words of a sermon? <laughs> you know, don't you love in conclusion? <laughs> We're about finished. <laughs> you can't remember everything else I said, but he said he's about done. <laughs> Brennan Manning is a Catholic priest who struggled with addiction all of his life. Some of you may be familiar with the ragmuffin gospel. He also wrote the book about Abba. Then he wrote a book called All is Grace. And what he would tell you is everything is about God's grace. God loves the broken and the marginalized and the hurting and the hopeless and those who feel like they have no place. But he says that if God could come, and this is what I hope you hear this morning, for you may be struggling yourself with that hidden sin. See those secrets that we have in us, they're the ones that make us sick. In the midst of that secret, would you hear the following? Of all the seven and a half billion people on earth, Brennan says, that if God could come and speak to you today, this is what he would say to you. I love you just the way you are, not the way you should be. Don't you ever, ever, ever forget. In fact, that's going to be the one question when you get to heaven. It's going to be, did you believe I loved you? Or did you feel like you needed to earn it? Or do something? But the question is,
Did you believe that I loved you? So today, if you are here and you are looking to wonder if God loves you, he loves you and he calls you to give him your life. We're going to stand and sing. We're going to invite you to come to trust Christ as your Savior, to be a part of this church. You may want to come and pray, ask someone to pray for you. Ministers will be here at the front. But when we hear the good news of the gospel and the fact that Jesus died to reclaim us, it's an opportunity for us to respond and say yes to Jesus, yes to his church, yes.